Hey folks, this is Josh Schlossberg, host of the Green Root Podcast, the official podcast of Eco Integrity Alliance, eco-integrityalliance.org, where we're on a quest to uncover the roots of the modern ecological crisis. It's been a little while since I've done a podcast. We are hard at work at Eco Integrity Alliance, doing a lot of great stuff, mostly on wildfire and forest these days. And we have an ongoing campaign about that. But I'm not going to be talking about that. I'm going to be talking about my new book. What? Why would I be talking about my book on an ecological podcast? That seems really not cool. Well, the truth is, the novel is an eco-horror novel. And it actually ties into wildfire and forests. So the book that's coming out, August 21st from Agada Triad, which is a, an imprint of Madness Heart Press. Uh, they're going to put out my book, Charwood. And the book is straight up eco-horror. I can read really quickly from the back blurb so I don't have to explain it all. But after joining the tenders, a band of backwoods activists claiming to solve climate change by burning trees for energy, Orna Tannenbaum falls in with Rowan, their odd yet charming leader. But when she uncovers what the tenders are really up to in the forest, she must apply the ancient wisdom of her culture to battle dark forces threatening to gain a foothold in our world. So that is what Charwood is all about, and it will be available everywhere online, bookstores, that decide to order it, like I said, August 21st. But prior to that, on August 20th, I am hosting an event called the State of Eco Horror. So I really want to announce that in advance of everything else. If you don't buy my book, that's totally fine. I'll talk more about my book in a second and the concept of eco horror, but I just want to pitch. Please RSVP for this State of Eco Horror. It's this virtual event on Sunday. August 20th, that's at 4 p.m. Pacific time, 5 Mountain time, 6 Central, 7 Eastern time. I'm going to have a lot of horror folks on there, but I really want to have more environmental eco folks. So I guarantee you, if you are not even into reading books, you'll still get something out of this event. So you can go to joshesworstnightmare.com or check the link in this podcast description. But please email me at josh at joshesworstnightmare.com. That's my horror fiction stuff. To RSVP, I'll give you the Zoom link. That's the only way to get into the event. So I really hope to see some of you folks there. And just let me tell you what's going to happen at that event. It is a virtual launch for my book, but it's not just going to be about that book. It'll actually be very little about that book. I will do a very brief, maybe one-page reading from it. There will be a one-minute trailer about it, but otherwise I'm having actual guests who are going to be coming on, and those folks are in the environmental world, they're in the horror fiction world, and really they're a part of different crossovers. So the program is going to have John Baltisberger of Madness Heart Press. He's going to talk about, quote, the obligation to heal the world. It's actually going to be kind of a Jewish concept of the need to steward our planet because there is Jewish mysticism I wove into this book. And 
going to have a talk called Fear in Nature with Carter Souls. He is a, an associate professor at SUNY Brockport, and he's also co-author of a textbook called Eco-Horror Studies in the Anthropocene. So that's going to be really cool and an academic bent on the whole topic. But he also read my book, so he's going to try to tie in some stuff. Horrific Hysteria of Wildfire Logging is the slideshow with Jennifer Mamola of John Muir Project. I've had, I believe I had Chad Hansen from John Muir Project on before. They work a lot on wildfire forest stuff. They're a part of Eco Integrity Alliance. They're doing way more on their own, but we're tying things together with what we're doing. They're, I would say, probably the most stalwart high-profile folks working on the wildfire forest issue, the wildfire hysteria logging, as we're calling it. So Jennifer's going to do a slideshow that shows some beautiful burned forests, but also the horrible logging that goes on before, during, and after wildfire, and that ties into the whole eco-horror theme. And then for some fun, I'm hosting a game called Name That Forest. So I'll be showing you photos of forests from around the United States, and you're going to guess where they're from and whoever guesses first in the chat because this is on zoom you get a prize so really hope you can come on rsvp today josh at joshesworstnightmare.com this is the state of eco horror virtual event on sunday august 20th really hope you can make it would be really great to have you there so let me talk a second about my book because why not and then we'll talk about eco-horror. And by we, I mean me, <laughs> because I'm the only one here. And if you talk back to the podcast, I can't hear you. Although, maybe if I listen, all right, say something right now, and let's see if I can actually hear what you're going to say in the future. I'll give you three seconds starting now to say something. Okay, you asked Josh, why am I talking about my book? Well, that's not very nice of you. I already explained that. So I'm going to talk more about my book. So I wanted to write a book that is about some of this wildfire logging, but I wanted to do it in a way that isn't just activism or journalism or science, right? So I use all of those elements. I understand the activism and advocacy. And I talk about some of that and the failures and successes. Journalism, which is reporting on, quote, objective facts, but not really <laughs> anymore. And then the science component, which I do root the entire book in, the science of all this stuff. But basically what happens in the book is she is somebody who wants to get more social coming out of uh, the worst part of the pandemic. And she's got some anxiety issues. This is something I hope a lot of people can relate with just feeling weird after not doing a lot of socializing. And she's like, all right, what do I be a part of? I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. Climate change. All right. What's going on locally in climate change? So she's in Colorado. That's where I am. So this is based on a, a real mining town, but I change its identity and I call it Silver Cleft. Anyway, she finds something which is called a All Hallows Climate Action Bonfire. So she goes up on Halloween to this bonfire, which is around climate change stuff and she's like these people are doing cool stuff about the climate i'm gonna join she goes up there she climbs up drives up this really steep mountain road it's very 
upsetting how far out it is and how creepy and dangerous the road is, but she finally gets up there. And, you know, long story short, she joins in with the festivities and people are not, there are weird people. There are some people who seem cool. There are people in the middle. She's not really sure what the scene is. There's your typical folk horror tropes, which people may not be familiar with that genre, but basically old timey weird rituals in the woods is folk horror. So I incorporate a lot of that stuff. But to make long story short, she gets caught up in the group. There's a little bit of blackmail involved, and but she still believes what they're doing is kind of legit. This idea of cutting trees down and burning them for to help with climate change. Now, most people on the surface are like, what? But this has been promoted as a real climate solution for years. And many environmentalists have been involved, so-called environmentalists have been involved with this and still are. So that's not that far-fetched. And most, you know, some naive people might fall for that. So she sort of has some questions, but she's like, well, they know best. They seem to be legit. They're living out here in the forest, whatever, at this lodge in the middle of nowhere. And so she starts engaging with that. And I go through the process of here are their best arguments. So this is how they would bamboozle people. And this is how you can sort of do mental gymnastics to believe in this way of thinking. And so she's like, okay, I still have some questions. It's a little weird, but if I don't think too hard and I just swallow their lines, it seems legit. Over time, it all starts to unravel. She realizes, wait a second, this logging they're doing doesn't really make much sense at all. It's not for what they say it is. She finds some other logging sites where it's not about, quote, dead and dying trees and then realizes, well, dead and dying trees is part of nature. All that stuff, all the stuff that we talk about, all the stuff that you probably know about if you've been listening to the podcast or just been paying attention to this issue. So I gradually unfold it. So I start from that point of, this is what they're saying. This is how people might believe it. So even somebody who thinks this is a good idea can come in and not instantly be attacked for their beliefs, right? Like here's why you might believe this is a, a legitimate thing. And so that's the way of being less preachy. It's also just the way of kind of cracking open this egg. Start from what they believe, how a person might believe it, and then the threads start falling away. And then over time, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but there's a reason why they're burning these trees and it has nothing to do with climate change at all. So one of the things I'm concerned about is whether people think that this whole book is anti-environmental, which if you read the book, you'd obviously know it's not. It does poke at fake environmentalism, which maybe some people will get, some people won't. I'm, I'm sure some people will completely miss the point, but that's just how it goes. And there is just this element of Jewish mysticism that ties into things. And there are some really dark forces involved. So it's a straight up horror book. And that is really ultimately what it is. It does have this message, but really I think it's a standalone horror, folk horror, you want to call it, eco-horror. I, I think it's a pretty darn good book. I've been writing and being published for quite some time. I think I did a pretty decent job, and I think anyone who just likes stories will like this. If you're an environmentalist, 
not a fake environmentalist, you'll definitely like this a lot. If you're a fake environmentalist, you'll probably hate this. <laughs> or maybe it will change your mind. And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of the podcast. Now that I've pitched this book, Charwood, go to joshesworstnightmare.com. You can sign up for my newsletter to get all the info on that. You can find it on different sites that are out there. Uh, lots of different ways to find that book, including a site called Bookshop. Org, so you can find it at your local bookstore. And if it's not there, you can get them to or order it. So then they'll maybe have one copy in stock. Who knows? So, all right. Eco horror. Why, why write a book about this topic? Why not just do activism? Why not do journalism? Why not do science, science writing? Well, I wrote an article about that. I call it what do I call it? I call it Why Write Eco Horror. And obviously doing organizing. Obviously I've done journalism, done science writing. I'm not the scientist myself, but I've done science writing in the form of journalism, writing about the science. And I think there's more awareness in the world, but we're, we're losing. We're losing pretty badly. So I'm not saying we abandon those efforts. I'm saying we might need to incorporate other things. So cultural elements, I think, are as powerful, if not more so. The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein, The Lorax by Dr. Seuss. I think those probably had more impact on shaping people's minds and beliefs around things than a lot of advocacy has done. Because ultimately, I think it's about more than just facts or even just feelings, right? So you can tell people a fact with science. If they don't want to believe it, they're not going to believe it. And just telling people a fact doesn't actually tell them what to do about it. I think advocacy often reaches people who already believe a thing. And a lot of advocacy doesn't really have much of a solution. And as we know, the mainstream environmental movement has been totally bought off by the corporate foundation. So they're not of much help. And the rest of us lone wolves are kind of howling out there in the wilderness and not having huge impacts. There have definitely been very positive things. I don't mean to say that environmental movement, the alternative environmental movement or the real environmental movement hasn't had successes. We have. We've had many successes. But we have to acknowledge that it's not enough for the unraveling that's happening. So there's this quote from Jonathan Swift the writer back in the day, reasoning will never make a man correct an ill opinion, which by reasoning he never acquired. In other words, if people have all sorts of dumb beliefs about things, you're not going to just give them a factoid and then they'll not have that belief because they didn't get that belief from factoids in the first place. They got it from just gut feelings or brainwash or who knows what. So this reasonable approach, maybe we have to augment it with something that is, quote, unreasonable as in art. So more art with message. Now, as, as somebody who is a writer and artist, I do want to be careful not to make art just pure propaganda. So I think the art on its own has to stand on its own as quality art. That's my opinion. And I work on my craft as much way more so than the messaging. So that's all I'll say about that. I think doing crappy art that's just as a vehicle to get propaganda out there is ultimately self-defeating. But if you can create legitimate art that 
investigates, that asks questions, that covers the whole gamut, then you can have themes or even messages incorporated in the whole thing. And I'm just going to read a very quick paragraph from my article just because I think it will explain it better than me just fumbling around. So, while many of us won't admit any validity to certain opposing viewpoints, it may feel safe for us to temporarily see through the eyes of our protagonist who thinks along those lines. Even if we don't agree with what that character's way of uh, looking at the world, fiction may help us develop empathy for that other side. Or if nothing else, a story might foster discussion on a given topic much better than dismissing those beliefs as too, quote, wrong to even engage with. So that's what I think eco-horror fiction can do. We can investigate these topics. We can do so safely. So even somebody who might disagree doesn't necessarily feel shouted at or excluded. It's going through the whole gamut of the discussion. And I genuinely give the arguments in favor of cutting and burning trees, biomass in the book. Now, I don't think that those arguments hold up, but I try not to straw man them. I try to give what people are saying, like, oh, biogenic carbon. It's different carbon than the other carbon, so it's fine if we burn trees down. Now, of course, that is ridiculous if you start thinking about it. It's, it's nonsense. But that is their argument. So laying out the argument as best as can be about for biogenic carbon, I start with that. That's basically the, <laughs> the evil cult leader makes that argument, but he makes it as legitimately as I possibly can. So I obviously have bias. Obviously, I'm not going to have the hardest core timber industry biomass uh, folks love my book or probably even read my book. But I think somebody who might be like, well, I don't know, I've heard that there's some good things or I'm not quite sure. I think that might taking them through the book. So you get them to see through the eyes of a character. You get them to feel things. You get to go through plot and all that. And then the background is this issue. And over time, as the character kind of uncovers what seems to be the reality here, that might be the process in the reader. I don't know. Maybe it's not going to work. I'm not pretending this book is going to fix everything or is even a perfect version of it. In fact, I would like your opinion as an enviro who listens to this Tell me what you think of my book. Did I do a good job of that? And keep in mind that I didn't write the book as just pure advocacy for our cause because that alone is would just be, again, that preaching to the choir kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I would be very interested in your opinion on it. But that's what I think eco-horror can do. And I'm going to be delving more into that in my writing I've done a lot in my horror realm of what I call biological horror. So I have a podcast with that. I have, I don't know, maybe 15 short stories out there that I've gotten published. I had a novella before published, now this coming novel. I had other novels I wrote and I wasn't able to get those published and I decided not to self-publish those. I'm going to be putting out a short story collection in the future and I've edited a few anthologies, but... So all I'm saying is that I'm a bit established in that realm. I'm going to start, I think, writing more eco-horror exclusively. I've written a few more, maybe not exclusively, but primarily, or at least largely. I've written a few short stories that definitely fit into eco-horror. So I'd like to do a compilation on that. Maybe I'll edit one of other writers too, but for right now, I want to write my own stories on that. And 
and see if that can get out there. There are a lot more eco-horror fiction books out there. There's some more, but there are a lot more eco-horror films, and those have been very popular. And I think, for better or for worse, the film drives what books are about. Well, the books are often written, and then the films are made, right? And, but then if the film is popular, that opens it up for more books being <laughs> written on the topic. That's kind of how it works. So I'm hoping that more and more eco-horror can go out there. And I think the tricky thing is it can't just be climate change is scary. It can't just be destruction of nature is bad, right? How many times are we going to say that over and over again? That's not enough. I mean, that can be fun. And the old school 70s version of eco-horror is nature strikes back. You know, you mess up the environment and they come after you. That's cool too, but that's been done over and over again. Those are fine. I'll probably write some stories like that. In fact, I have. <laughs> but what is the next stage in that? And I think it's actually incorporating what we can be doing as a response. And I do get a little bit into that in Charwood towards the end. I don't go really far in depth because that wasn't the point of Charwood it's kind of the point out the things that we don't want to do, but then at the same time, here is a way of aligning forces. So at the end of the book, basically she creates a little eco-integrity alliance, which is, uh, I don't think that's too much of a spoiler because there's nothing to do with the plot. So bringing together people to who are kind of far-flung lone wolves to work on a topic, to unite our our forces. And I think that's the most important thing we can do right now. So that's almost larger than eco-horror. That's just advocacy in general, community organizing in general. I don't know. But I don't actually know what the future of eco-horror is. And it could be about adaptation. It could be about rebuilding. It could be about just coping. It could be about, and I'm hoping is about what are some actual solutions that might work. I do think we have to critique the environmental movement in some of this eco-horror. And that's what I did in Charwood. And that's kind of risky because people who don't really understand that as much or are a part of that version of the environmental movement are just going to call this an anti-environmental book, which is absurd. I mean, this is one thing I say in, in my uh, article as well. Um, one, you can say a lot of things about this book. You can say it sucks. You can say, hey, it's stupid. All that's fine. One, What one cannot honestly claim in good faith is that I didn't deliver a wide spectrum take on the eco-crisis. So I really get to the, to the uh, I go across the board to really deliver that. And I haven't seen hardly any books do what I did in that regard. So enough about feathering my own nest. Uh, I'd like to see more eco-horror in the world. I'd be curious to hear, post your eco-horror book, maybe it's eco-fiction, that's fine. Tell me about some books that I should read to get a better idea of how to shape this genre. And ultimately, yeah, why eco-horror as opposed to eco-fiction? Because the, the dark side, the shadow, I think is so much of what is missing in understanding how to move forward in an ecologically sound way. Now, the environmental movement has been very good at pointing out the shadow of corporations, government, sometimes individual, but 
I think we can look more at the shadow of the individual and how do we prop up these governments? How do we prop up these corporations? How are we feeding into that? Of course, it's it's the interplay, right? You can't just blame a person because sometimes we don't have a lot of other better options, but we don't necessarily have to keep giving our money to certain corporations over and over again. We can disrupt certain patterns and habits in our own lives. And I think critiquing the shadow of the environmental movement, which we all know in the mainstream environmental movement is just an unwillingness or inability or whatever to tackle root causes. It's just literally anything but the root cause. And I think a lot of that has to do with the funding, but I also think it has to do, you know, from corporate foundations, but I also think it has to do with just the mindset of people where they want to believe it's not that bad. But then at the same time, it's like, they're both saying, oh my God, we're all going to die tomorrow from climate change, which I think that's alarmist saying that we're going to die tomorrow, right? Maybe in a year, maybe 10, 50, I don't know. But, and then literally no solutions, literally just slogans and half measures, if that, or false solutions like biomass. So that's a real shadow that I think needs to be investigated before we we go much further. And also, I would call elements of the alternative environmental movement, there's issues because we refuse to join together. We have these purity tests, which, you know, I guess I can be accused of, and some of us can be accused of, but just well, I don't like that person's personality versus their principles on environmental organizing. That's fine to be uh, exclusive of, but we're just like, oh, well, they have this other belief that I don't like that has nothing to do with environmentalism. We can't ever work together. Okay, maybe that's legitimate for some time, but we've only got so many of us to choose from and we're already on the fringe. And so it's like, what are we doing? Can we get a little better at organizing even if we find the people and it, it's tricky. I'm telling you, it's really tricky as a part of Eco Integrity Alliance. That's why we're actually trying to obtain some funding now that we have a core group because we're trying to manage things in different states. And that, that takes a lot of time. I'm trying to do campaign work in Colorado and I'm tapping into a bunch of different states. There needs to be some funding for some of us, even if it's not me, to be doing that work. So we're in the process of that. There's so many shadow aspects. I don't think the eco horror stuff should just be about freaking people out all the time. I think I think action comes from urgency. So I'm like, oh man, that seems like it's pretty bad. We better do something. But I think messaging, it's too late. I don't think that's motivating at all. I think that's literally the opposite. And maybe it is too late. I'm, I'm totally open to that possibility. And maybe it's just about adaptation. If it is that, then let's teach people how to adapt or if none of this matters, then I guess we can just erupt into constant hedonism. But I think a lot of our personalities who are involved with this, we, we want to be a part of stuff. Maybe it's just ego. We want to feel like we're worthwhile as human beings. That's another shadow aspect to look into. There, there are all these shadow aspects. That's what horror fiction is to me. It's not you know, killing people and chopping people's heads off for the fun of that. Maybe a little. But it's investigating the shadow side. Without shadow, there can be no light. That is the whole picture. That is what eco-horror means to me. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. And that's all I got. A reminder to please attend the State of Eco-Horror on the 20th of August. Please RSVP at josh at joshesworstnightmare.com. 
so I can get you on the list for that Zoom link. I'd love to have you. It'll be, it'll be lots of fun. I think you'll learn some stuff. Hopefully I'll learn stuff from you. And check out my book, Charwood. That will be available online where books are sold, or you can just sign up for my newsletter at joshesworstnightmare.com and find out all about that. Hope you'll like the book. If not, tell me why you hate the book. I'm open to all that stuff. Uh, legitimately from environmentalists, you can tell me. I would be listening to your environmental critique. So that's all I got. Hope everyone is doing well, and we will talk again at an indeterminate time in the future.